All right, tonight we will, we will return to what was kind of an impromptu hermeneutical lesson. And the reason it was an impromptu hermeneutical lesson, that was a Wednesday where um, a, a lot of people were not here. And so instead of continuing with the Canons of Dort that night, I pulled up something and did an impromptu hermeneutical lesson, which was supposed to be short and, of course, wasn't. wasn't. And because it turned to now, you know, who knows how many parts. So that's what we're going to do. I don't necessarily... When I was thinking about it today about, you know, do I want to do the second part? Part of me doesn't want to do the second part because I've come after all these years of, of, of teaching and being a Christian. There's two subjects that sometimes is the most frustrating, and those are hermeneutics and Bible study methods. And the reason why is because, um, you know, all the statistics show that teaching those really from a human perspective is not... Not very successful because teaching Bible study methods are only valuable if people do what? Use them. Hermeneutics is only good if people do what? Use them. If they don't sit down and study, then, then you're just learning principles. So it's, there's always a feeling like, well, should I? But I always hope someone somewhere will, will hear the principles, the methods, or whatever we're teaching and utilize them, and hopefully it will be beneficial. I, I hope so. Um, what I want to do this, uh, I, I, instead of we're doing a, we'll get to a review, but before we get to review, I want to try to set this up tonight by something that happened earlier today, all right? Earlier today, I uh, ended up, I don't know how, on crosswalk.com. Now, if you've never looked at crosswalk.com, it's just your normal, everyday type of Christian website that, you know, hundreds of thousands, million Christians go to. There's nothing... There's nothing overly academic about it. There's nothing overly theological about it. You know, it's got articles like, you know, uh, you know, 10 reasons women are lonely or 10, 10 ways to better manage your money or 10 ways to be a better parent. And sometimes uh, the, the articles they have, um, to be fair, there's nothing inherently wrong with the article. Uh, what I always tend to say about the articles are if you use the article as a starting point, to then dig into the scriptures to get a biblical understanding of the subject, they can be useful. If you just read them themselves, they're, they're kind of a little surface level and shallow. But if you go to crosswalk.com, on the right-hand side, they have a, a daily devotional, okay, which is just your typical kind of devotional, nothing major. And then underneath that, they have, I think it's called Today's Scripture Reading. Or today's, I think it's today's scripture reading is their exact words. I stated it on the on the live uh, message that I did today and posted the recording of it. But I, since we don't have Wi-Fi, I can't pull it up here. Um, so when you look at it, you're like, okay, today's scripture reading. All right, and there's a verse. All right. Now, on one hand, it looks like that today's scripture reading is just one verse. Underneath it, they have the chapter from which that verse comes from. But today, it was Amos chapter 5, verse 24. Amos chapter 5, verse 24. And as soon as I looked at it, the first thing that, got, you know, if you want to have, you have your Bibles open to Amos chapter 5, you can uh, open to Amos chapter 5. We'll kind of use this as a starting point. I don't want to repeat everything that I said today, but we'll... We'll use this as a starting point to build on what I said today. Um, Amos chapter 5. If you look at Amos chapter 5, what, uh, what do you, if you look at the chapter, how many verses does the chapter have? 24. 
27. So the fact that they had 24, that was interesting, right? Today's scripture reading, um, Hosea, not Hosea, Amos chapter 5, verse 24, right? And then underneath it, they have a link to Amos chapter 5, which is good. They, they're, they're trying to get you to ultimately, it looks like, to get you to read the whole chapter. But they seem to be, you know, for some reason, they just, they picked verse 24. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Why would you pick 24? Are they trying to say 24 is the key verse of the chapter? Why did they pick 24? Now, if we read Amos chapter 5, verse 24, um, just listen carefully to it. This is from the King James. But let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. All right. Doesn't tell me a lot. Uh, they don't quote from the King James, however, on their website. Obviously, you know, you know most sites don't. Um, they quote, it looks like, from the NIV. So let me open the NIV here. I read it from the NIV. Amos chapter 5, verse 24. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. All right. So when I saw that, I started trying to figure out, why did they just pick verse 24? Right? Why did they pick 24? And I came up with a lot of theories. Now, it's always, it's not, you know, when, when I come up with these theories, obviously I cannot be dogmatic because I don't know the motivation of why they picked verse 24. But I ha it kind of hit me because in our culture today, there's some buzzwords here, right? This word justice. Social justice is a big buzzword right now in our culture. Social justice warrior, social justice. So did they pick it because it says, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream? Did they choose it because it uses a word that is so prevalent in culture right now? I don't know. But so I, I was trying to figure out why. And so I was thinking, well, why is this, is this the key verse for this chapter? There's no way this is the key verse. For Amos chapter 5, just my, you know, basic, basic knowledge of, of Amos 5 wouldn't even make sense. That wouldn't even make sense. So then I kind of gave up on trying to figure that out. And then I started thinking this. The average Christian who comes to Crosswalk.com, they go to your average evangelical church, Christians you know. And they hop on Crosswalk.com and they see Amos chapter 5 verse 24. I started asking myself, how would they handle this verse? How would they think about this verse? What would they do with it, right? Would they, would they let's say they sat down and, you know, the, the traditional picture that a lot of Christian websites, you know, imagine, they, they imagine it being this way, that there's some Christian there, they sit down with their cup of coffee and they have a notebook, because they always imagine people have notebooks, and they have a notebook and they look at Amos chapter 5, verse 24, and then they start journaling about it. What would they write about Amos 5.24? Would they see it as a command, right? In other words, would they read it as, hey, let justice, you let justice roll like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. You be a source of justice. You be a source of righteousness. I bet you some Christians would interpret it that way, correct? Others may see it as a promise, God is promising that justice and righteousness is coming. Oh, this is awesome. I don't know how anybody would handle it. Because when you see it, I, this is my personal feelings. I believe most Christians who attend most churches 
would be ill-equipped to handle it. They wouldn't know what to do. They wouldn't know how to handle it. They wouldn't have a clue. So that to me is... Now, I blame the, the individual Christian. They're, they are to be blamed. Now, I know everybody says, well, they, they were never taught. You can learn how to do anything you want to learn how to do, right? I mean, if you want to know how to interpret the Bible, I mean, it's not like the books have been hidden in some you know, archive behind lock and key. You've had, you, every, every Christian, I, I was a teenager when I found a book and how to figure it out, right? No one told me how to, to study it. I figured it out by going and finding a book, right? Everyone has the same ability. So, but at the same time, even though the, the individual Christian bears some responsibility, if they go to church, then the m- multitude of responsibility belongs at the door of the church. Because if you go to church, you should be getting something out of it, right? And how to handle it. So I, I, let's just do a, a quick exercise, all right? All right, now you get to speak up. I'll walk to you and let you speak on, on the, to the iPad, right? Uh, Seth, I'm, I have to use this iPad for this recording because this is how I did the first one. So I wanted to have the similar sound. So, so just so that you know what's going, you go back there like, what's going on, okay? Yeah, there's, there's nothing happening. We've given up recording. No, okay, all right, here we go. So here's your challenge, right? And Seth, we're in Amos chapter 5, verse 24, if you, if you want to see what we're doing. Here's your, here's your chance, all right? Amos chapter 5, verse 24. You go to crosswalk.com. You sit down. We'll, we'll follow the picture. You have a cup of coffee. You have your notebook open. Amos 5, 24, today's scripture reading. All right. What, what would be your first thought when you saw Amos chapter 5, verse 24? And be honest. What would be your first thought? What would be your first thing you would think? I don't know what he's talking about. Okay, good. First thing would be an acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. I have no clue here. Yeah. And wouldn't you also be willing to acknowledge, there's no way to have a clue, right? There's no way to figure that out. Not in that one verse. Not in that one verse, right? I wouldn't have a clue. Yeah, All right, so... Okay, so that's, I, I, I agree with that first step, is acknowledging there's no way I can figure this out. Okay, so what would be your second step in trying to figure it out? Now, you've you got to be very careful how you answer this, okay? Because if you answer it wrong, I will, of course, never say anything negative about your wrong answer. And I will just agree with your wrong answer because I am all about encouragement. Mm-hmm. All right. Something else. No. All that's wrong. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, before that, what book is it from? Which is a minor prophet. So immediately, before I worry about context. Okay. Oh, yeah, you should have. You listened to this. You should have known. No, that was the first question we did ask. Okay. All right, because, and here's the reason why, okay, that's good. I forgot a couple of hours ago. Okay, woo-hoo, all right, all right. But, so maybe, maybe it's good that I'm doing the reminder. Maybe it's good I'm doing the reminder. All right, now here's the reason why. I agree that in, in other contexts, just going to, you know, jumping to the context, the reason I would not do that with uh, Amos, it's a minor prophet. Okay, well, well, first question is, most people, and I bet you even us, if we did a, a basic uh, test on the minor prophets, we probably would fail, right? So, okay, whenever you have a minor prophet, here's the thing. Uh, typically, the minor prophets prophesied during what uh, era of uh, Israel, Israel history? Divided. Divided kingdom. So now I got to figure out, 
If it's a minor prophet, it's a prophet sent to deliver a message and would deliver a message to whom? Right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And before captivity, during captivity, after captivity. So these are basic questions. So if you have, if you have, a, if you, everyone has Bibles, do you have an introduction to Amos? Okay. Do I, you get the first verse? Okay. Right. If you have any introduction to Amos. Okay. Well, no. I tell you, you study Bibles as reference tools. Okay. Right. Right. You've got an entire library on that table back there. Okay. All right. All right. So you can throw a study Bible in the stack. Okay. All right. Okay. Yes. For those listening online, that's the same person I yelled to get off her phone. Now I'm telling her that her library is not complete. Okay. All right. So um, here we go. If we, if we know anything about Amos, what, uh, if you have any introduction, or what, does the first verse give you any clue? Yes. Okay. Stop right there. So immediately, verse 1 tells us what? Divided kingdom. All right, so it's during the divided kingdom. All right, what else do we find? The two kings that he prophesied during. Okay, do we know who he went to, south or north? He saw concerning Israel. Ah, so he goes to the north. All right, so right there we know, okay, whatever's going on here, the first application has to have something to do with Israel, right? Now, if we do a little, if we do a little background, we know that they have a big problem. It seems, according to at least a couple of sources, it was a time of prosperity. I have a very good study Bible right here, but um, I won't go into everything there about it because it'll turn into a study of Amos. But what I want you to see is that already gives you, so just going back to verse one, even if you don't have a good study Bible, that already gives you at least some context of what's going on, all right? So you get a basic idea. He's going to go, it looks like, at, at least to the northern kingdom. It seems to be a time of great prosperity. However, here's the problem. Israel is overwhelmed with one major issue. Idolatry. Idolatry is running rampant. All right, everybody got that? Now, if you go back to Isaiah, or Isaiah, Amos chapter 5, all right, Amos chapter 5, verse 24, obviously, falls in the middle of a section, right? I mean, it's just, to say 24 is the scripture reading of the day, it just, it's a weird verse to rip out of context, right? Because it just leaves people to go, let's talk about justice and let's talk about righteousness. Well, something's going on here, right? I think we can pick up the section, depending on how your Bibles are divided. You're probably going to see most Bibles are going to tell you the section starts in 18. Yeah. Oh, it says 21. Okay. I think 18 makes the most sense. All right. So let's go back to 18. And what does verse 18 start with? Whoa, oh, whoa, 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 all right? Whoa and different woes, right? Whoa, whoa, slow down, okay, whoa, as what? Judgment. Message of judgment, right? Okay, now wait, remember how I said some people could read 24? Like, oh, this is, this is a promise of, of, of something good, justice and righteousness, or an encouragement for you to carry out justice and righteousness. But it's falling in a section that begins with, whoa, Okay, woe unto you that what? Desire. desire the day of the Lord. Now, there's some who could have been desiring the day of the Lord. Now, we could ask, who's desiring the day of the Lord, and why are they desiring the day of the Lord? All right? 
Let, we, we could come up with some possibilities. I'm not going to be dogmatic. Maybe there's some within Israel who wanted the day of the Lord to come because they thought that the day of the Lord would come and get rid of whom? Their enemies. Right? Correct? Remember, they were always looking. They were always looking, even in the New Testament, they were looking for Jesus to come and get rid of their enemies. Always ready for their enemies to be getting rid of. Well, whatever the case is, woe unto anyone who desires the day of the Lord. Why? To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not... Okay, we could paraphrase. It's not a positive thing, right? It's not a positive thing. Why? Well, continue. As if a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him. Okay, That's not good. Right? You may get away from one bad thing. Right. In other words, you may get away from whatever thing they wanted to get rid of, but there's something else they could meet them, right? Or went into the house and leaned his hand on a wall and a serpent bit him. Okay. I think we can all determine that's not good, right? You don't have to be a Bible scholar to figure out that whatever he's referring to, this is not a good thing. So far, so good? Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light? Even very dark and no brightness in it. I hate. Now, would we agree that... Um, this uh, would clearly seem to be the message from God. Yes. yes. I hate, I despise your feast days, and I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. All right. God is not happy with their feast days. He's not happy with their solemn assemblies. What else is he not happy with? Though you offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. He's not happy with their burnt offerings. He's not happy with their... Meat offerings, neither will I regard the peace offerings of your uh, fat beast. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs. He's not even happy with their singing. He's not happy with their offerings. He's not happy with their sacrifices. He's not happy with their feast days. He's not happy with their meeting. They're, go they're going through religious ritual. God is not happy with any of it. And then verse 24 but let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. Now, how do you interpret that? Well, we could go a couple of different directions, right? One, we could go with God is saying, hey, I am tired of all of this, but you know what? Let justice, let judgment come and righteousness come like a stream you can't stand against to wipe it all away, to get rid of all of it. That's not a positive thing. This would be a judgment of chastisement, a, a judgment of something negative. That's why they shouldn't be hoping for the day of the Lord because if it comes, it's coming on them as well. Right? It's kind of the, the New Testament idea is how judgment begins where? House of the Lord. Right? Same kind of idea. Now some try to interpret it that what he is saying is, hey guys, you're not doing anything right. What you need to do is start living a just life and a righteous life. I don't think that fits as well, right? I don't think that fits as well. I could be wrong, but at least an idea. So now I spent a lot of time on all of that. And I know I'm repeating a little bit this morning, but what I want to build on is this. The average Christian would not, uh, many Christians, we should say this, would not be able to figure that out or not even know those steps to take. They would be, they would be making some Facebook post this morning. You know, I've been having problems at work and and, and I saw, uh, you know, I saw Amos 5, 24, and I just know that I need to let justice run from me as, as a water and righteousness as a mighty stream. And you'd be like, what? 
what are you talking about? Well, God just spoke to me this morning from Amos 5.24, and I just need to deliver justice. And, I, and you're like, lady or man or boy or girl or whatever you are, you are, uh, that's not what this is re- referencing. You have to be taught how to do that. Does that make sense? You have to learn how to do that. So that's why we have the hermeneutic section, and that's why at times we do hermeneutic lessons. So, all right, does that, does that make some sense? I just wanted to show you that as, a, as an example of why, why sometimes I emphasize hermeneutics so much is because that's on a, a popular Christian website. And it's just oh, Amos 5.24. Why is that the verse they picked? Of all the verses they picked in the chapter, they just picked that one to be the... They didn't didn't pick the last one. They didn't pick the first one. Why? I I question that, I think, because they used the NIV and it used the word justice, which is such a buzzword in our culture. I think that's why they did it. Now, I understand if it gets people to read the whole chapter, great. But I wonder how many people could read Amos 5 and even understand the chapter. Does that make sense? So we have to figure that out. All right. So let's go back. For those who were here, you can pull up your notes. We, uh, two weeks ago, we started something I call, I, I, I called it Grasping God's Word Part 1. It's in the hermeneutic section. So tonight we'll be Grasping God's Word Part 2. We'll do a quick review. I know, uh, Pierces were here. Were you the only ones here? Y'all out of town? I think Stephen was here, so I think that was it. All right, there was, yeah, there wasn't a lot here that night. All right, so here's what we did. We, we basically described hermeneutics as a journey, an interpretive journey, all right? And we, we broke it down into steps because a journey begins with, a, with steps, right? Okay, so we, we broke them down this way, all right? Step one, all right, using the language from this particular article, was grasp the text and their town. Grasp the text and their town. Now, I cannot repeat everything about these, so I'm going to go through these quick. So the first step is to grasp the text in their town. Everybody can probably understand what that means. What did the text mean? To To the original audience. Grasp the text in their town. Step two in this interpretive journey. Measure the width of the river to cross. Measure the width of the river to cross. And what what was the point there? What are the differences between the biblical audience and us? What is the differences between the biblical audience and us? Didn't we just kind of do that a little bit? We had to figure out what the difference, we had to try to figure out, we had to grasp the text, Amos, and their town. What did it mean to there? What was the difference? Well, that's a divided kingdom. It's going something, so that primary focus there is not even on us, is it? All right. Step three. Cross the theological bridge. Right? What are the theological principle in the text? What is the theological principle in the text? What is the theological principle in Amos chapter 5 that we just read? Yet God has a certain demand for worship. Right? And he doesn't accept all worship. There's a theological principle there, right? Because it teaches us something about God. And he's a God of Judgment. All right, yeah. So we got to cross the theological bridge and figure out what the principle is in the text. Number Step four. Grasp the text in our town. What does that mean? How do we apply it? Now, they, that's the way they wrote it, and then they added a step, which they should have added originally. They added a step whenever we are dealing with an Old Testament passage, right? 
And what did they call? What did they say this text or this step is? Cross into the New Testament. Cross into the New Testament. Whenever you're studying an Old Testament passage, you have to cross into the New Testament to see if the New Testament does what? Modify. Modify. And if so, how? Or qualify the principle, and if so, how? And we already talked about that in great detail. All right. Now, they, they, I don't know why they removed the step from the others. They should have just placed them there. But they've got, so ultimately, how many steps did they give us? Five steps. All right, everybody got that? All right. Now, they talked about theological principles, right? And they talked about principles, okay? So, if there's principles, then we need a criteria for these principles. And what were the criteria for the principles? I'm going to go through these quick. You ready? Mm -hmm. Number one, the principles should be reflected in the text. You can't have a principle if it doesn't, it's not reflected in the text. People do that all the time. Like Amos 5, 24, justice. See, I need to let, today I need, a, I, mean, I need to be a warrior for justice and let justice flow for me. And whoa, 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 whoa. That's not the principle coming from Amos 5, 24, right? Okay, so the principle has to be reflected in the text. Number two, the principle should be timeless and not tied to a specific situation. Now, why is that important? Some principles have nothing to do with you, me, America, 2019. They're a principle that has something to do with a specific situation. you got to see if the principle is timeless or if it's tied to a specific situation. For example, in the book of Leviticus, calling for the execution of all kinds of people for all kinds of crimes is a principle tied to Israel under a theocracy. Okay, It may have also applied to the monarchy when they had kings, but even those kings operated almost like a theocracy, right? So, all right, we could kind of, we could get into that. So that's number two. Number three, the principle should not be culturally bound. What are some, uh, what's an example of culturally bound principles? Okay. Well, we could think of a good New Testament one. First Corinthians has lots, lots of culturally bound principles. Meat offered unto idols. Right? The whole hair thing. Right? Something's going on there in Corinth, right? So some of those principles are culturally bound. Now that doesn't mean there may not be an application, but we gotta be very careful to not take a principle from it and establish an entire doctrine like some people do. All right. Next, the principles should correspond to the teaching of the rest of scripture. The principles should correspond to the teaching of the rest of scripture. Right? And then next, the principles should be relevant to both the biblical and the contemporary audience. The principles should be relevant to both the biblical and the contemporary audience. So we have the steps and we have the criteria for the principles. Now, we ended there for all practical purposes and we're going to label the next part and here's the next part you ready so we got the steps we got the criteria for principles now we got to how to read how to read and we call this bobby just said it how to read sentences paragraphs and discourses how to read sentences paragraphs and discourses now, I, I know it, it, it sounds almost like crazy talk. Um, I know, I, and, and, I, and again, this is why the perspicuity of Scripture sometimes bothers me, that doctrine. Not so much the doctrine bothers me, but I think the average Christians, they just believe the Bible's clear, 
And I can understand it. Well, you can, uh, you, the, the clarity of the scripture is dependent on the ability of a person to read. Would everyone say amen to that? I know that that sounds blasphemy in a Protestant church, but I don't care. The clarity of scripture is dependent upon your ability to read. Agreed? Right? That, that, I, I cannot stress that enough. Uh, the book that I told you about, How to Read, what's it called? Oh, how to read. Okay, all right. How to read. Um, I told her about this book, How to Read. I've, I've recommended the book to I don't know how many people. And there's a friend in Nebraska. Um, every Sunday he reads. Seems like every Sunday he reads from the book because every Sunday he always sends me a quote from the book. And he's like, "This reminds me of you. This reminds me of you." I'm like, he's like, "The whole book reminds me of you." I'm like, "I wonder why?" Because <laughs> I tell everyone to read the book. All right. Because how to read the book? How to read a book is critical, and 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 the principles that you would apply to reading any book, they also have to apply. To reading the Bible. So, how to read paragraphs or sentences, paragraphs, and discourses. All right, here's a couple of things. We're going to start through. I'm going to make a list and we're just going to start working through these, okay? If I need to explain it, and most of these are, are self, you know, I don't, I don't think you're going to need my uh, help, but if we need, we'll work on it, all right? Number one, all right, how to read sentences, paragraphs, discourses. Number one, uh, look for words and phrases that repeat. Repetition of words. Look for repetition of words. Now, why would you look for repetition of words? Sometimes the repetition of a word can demonstrate that the word is a keyword, right? Number two, repetition of word could demonstrate emphasis. Right? That the author is emphasizing something that we would believe ultimately it's being emphasized by God since we believe the scriptures are inspired by God, but it's being emphasized. Uh, I, you said something else? Could start establishing a theme, main point. That could be, a, you, you get the basic idea. Look for repetition of words. Now, you got to be careful, right? Just because it repeats some words, don't always jump to some crazy conclusion. You just note it, but what else do you have to continue to do? You have to continue to read. You don't just go, oh, repetition of words, this proves something. You just have this. Pr These are tools that you have to have in your reading kit. And you've got to know when to pull the, tool, the right tool out at the right time and know when to use it and when not to use it. All right, number two. Contrasts. Look for ideas, individuals, and or items contrasted with each other. Got to be able to identify a contrast. Some people are good at identifying contrast. Some people are not. Because, and now, so we, we got, repetition of words are easy, right? Contrast, I think contrast should be easy. I think they, they can be. But I, th I do find it interesting that they put contrast, and guess what they put as number three? Comparison. Comparisons. Some things are contrasted. Some things are compared. Look for uh, ideas, individuals, and items that are compared with each other. Uh, can someone explain the difference between a contrast and a comparison? That's a good question. A comparison would use words such as like or as. Okay. All right. Like or as. That would, that would give you a clue that it's a... Comparison, all right. What would, was there any specific words we would look for for a contrast? But, but, but however, however, 
Okay, right. Okay, now that tells you how to identify one. Or things that are opposite, like light and dark. Okay. Right. It can be very dark. Right, right, okay. All right, so you, you get the basic idea. Identify a contrast. Identify a comparison. Now, remember, when you're, when you're reading through a text, especially in the Bible, now, with, with, if you're reading a novel, you still want to be able to pick up these things, um, because, but typically you don't stop and start taking notes and trying to figure it out unless you read books weird like some people, okay? Right. Like, we don't know. Like, like, like yeah, okay, but watch movies with a notebook pad. Okay, but all right, you get the idea. All right, but Seth can testify. I did not have a notebook at a wrestling show. Okay, I did not. All right, okay. All right, so. Okay, all right. I did not. I did not. Okay. But, uh, but I, was, I, was, I was looking for things. Okay, so. But you get, you get the idea. So the thing is that when you're reading through in, in the Bible and you're reading, let's say you're going to read Amos chapter 5, right? You can, as you're just reading, obviously the first time you just read through, but as you're reading, you're noting repetition of words, contrast, comparison. And then guess what you do when you get a notebook? You just write down. I got repetition of words in verse, and write down what the word is. I got a contrast in this verse. I've got a comparison in this verse. It doesn't have to be anything elaborate. You're just noting, noting it. Even if you don't have time to do a full study, that, that at least when you go back to try to offer it, because uh, when you get ready to try to interpret it, you've got to be able to have these tools available. Does that make sense? All right. Okay, next. Lists. Whenever the text mentions more than two items, identify it as a list. Whenever the text mentions more than two items, identify it as a list. Now, in a roundabout, Amos 5 kind of gave us a list, did they not? Yes. All the things God was not happy with. Mm. Yes? Yeah. Not happy with their, solemn, uh, their feast days. Not happy with their solemn assemblies. Then he names specific offerings. Peace. Yeah, burnt, peace, meat, meat offering, and then their songs, right? I think there was a total, I think five, maybe, maybe six. I can't remember, just top of my head. Um, but th there's a list there. Right? Now, you have a list. Now, you can summarize all that list into one topic. He's not happy with their worship. But he's being very specific to make sure they understand, I'm not happy with any of it. Like, well, well, maybe you're not happy with our songs, but you have to be happy with our songs. He even starts naming major, uh, major sacrifices, right? So list, that can be important, right? We're dealing in Romans 1 with homosexuality. How many times does homosexuality seem to be fall in list with a number of other sins? Well, why does it show up in a list with other sins? Right? Does those lists tell us something about those sins? Does it, like, like what does those lists tell us? Note the list. Whenever there's a list, note the list, all right? Now, typically lists are easy to pick up, and let me, let me tell you why. If you've been going to church for any length of time, pastors love lists because it's an easy way to make a sermon. Oh, whew, coming to a passage that's got a list, that's easy. I got four points, I'm good to go, right? You know what I'm saying? But, so usually you pick up on lists, but you got to notice them for yourself when reading and try to figure out what, why, why are they listed together. All right, next, cause and effect. Look for cause and effect relationships. Look for cause and effect relationships. Everybody got pretty much understand that? Yeah, Look. there's one here in Amos. Okay, which one? So he's saying all the things that he hates, therefore, so because they're doing the wrong things, therefore he's going to let them go into captivity. Okay, there you go. All right, cause yes. All right, yeah, cause and effect. 
Uh, there you go. So you see a cause and effect in Amos 5. There we go. So, and picking those things out are, are important. All right. Next, figures of speech. Figures of speech. Identify expressions that convey an image using words and a sense other than the normal literal sense. Expressions that convey an image using words and a sense other than the normal literal sense. Now, sometimes people always say the literal sense, always use the literal sense, right? And we always use the literal sense until the literal sense doesn't make any sense. But you got to make sure you figure out when something is a figure of speech. Give me some examples of figures of speech in the Bible. Okay. As a bird, right. What way? He's not a bird. That's a figure of speech, right? Okay. What would be some other examples? Bread of life. That's a good one. Jesus bread of life. He's not actual bread, right? So that's where the normal literal sense wouldn't make sense, right? All right. But identify figure of speech. Now, when does it get complicated? Typically, you start having problems with figures of speech when you get into Isaiah Ezekiel, Daniel, Revelation, all the minor prophets, because now you have these, you're like, wait a minute, am I to take this literal or am I take this as a figure of speech? Now, if I take it as a figure of speech, what is it representing? Mm -hmm. That's where it's hard. Like Jesus is bread of life. Well, okay, that's easy. He's, he's showing that he's what? Necessary for life, right? Bread was, is, is essential for life. He's the thing that will sustain. He's the thing that we have to feed upon. All right, all right, that makes sense, right? He's light. All right, well, that, okay, light reveals. Light, okay, you, you, it's contrasted with darkness, all right? Sometimes, some figures of speech make sense. When you get into Revelation, that's where the debate is. Well, that's a figure of speech. And you're like, okay, what does it mean? And then, and then sometimes it goes crazy because, like, it's a figure of speech and the locusts represent helicopters. Like, whoa, 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 Now you went from a figure of speech to, like, where did you go? Like, you got to, so figures of speech can get complicated, but you got to note when the text seems to be using language in a way that's not, that's not literal, right? And if it's not literal, though, you gotta, you got to explain what it means, and you got to have a reason why it means that. You can't make the locust in Revelation helicopters unless you got something telling me why. Does that make sense? Now, you could say the locust represents... Like, if you're going to say the locust in Revelation is, um, is a figure of speech, what would you say that figure of speech could be representing? Let's say it's not literal locusts because they're described in a very weird way, correct? So what could they represent? Well, if we go through the Bible and every time locusts are mentioned, how are they usually used? Agents of destruction or judgment. Mm -hmm. So are these simply means of divine judgment? Maybe it's not for us to figure out what they are, but what they represent. represent right? Does that make sense? Right. Right. Now, again, even that would be debatable. There'll be 10 people listening, screaming, go, no, 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 no. And it's like, look, you can't argue that there's things in Revelation that seem like a figure of speech because the literal sense doesn't make a lot of sense because we don't even know what it's describing. I mean, you got things with like, Face of a man, a woman, like you know, hair, of, you know, face of a lion, all these weird, like, and you're like, wait, what, what, what is going on here? And, and sometimes you have to we deal with that. All right, next, conjunctions. Conjunction, junction. Well, that's your function. The only thing I remember 
from Schoolhouse Rock, okay, because I watch cartoons on Saturday morning. <laughs> okay. I don't remember anything from school, but I remember conjunction, junction, what's your function. Not from school. That, that tells you something, right? Okay. All right. So, uh, everybody know the con uh, point of a conjunction? It connects something, right? And what terms are used to, to identify as a conjunction? And? Stacy said I'm and? Okay. I have and, but, and four. Does that sound fair? That four. Yeah, they list four as well. Okay, all right. I, I didn't want the grammar Nazi police to start yelling at me, okay? All right. I gotta get the Spanish, Spanish Inquisition, okay? So, all right, but that, so we agree on those? All right, and button four, okay. Now, here's the thing. When you notice a conjunction, you don't just write down, oh, there's three conjunctions in four verses. <laughs> Look at me, all right? What do you need to do once you identify the conjunction? What are they connecting? <laughs> what are they functioning? Okay. Bobby's gonna sing the whole song for us. Okay, what are they connecting? Okay, okay, yeah. But in that, I mean, I'm talking in the verse. Like, what, what, like, what ideas are they connecting here? Okay, make sense. It's not about looking smart that you can identify the conjunction. The main thing is wait. They're connecting these two things together. Why are they connecting these two things together? Right? What are some different purposes they could, what are some different way, purposes for connecting things together? Cause and effect? Or comparison and contrast. Could they use a comparison and contrast? Okay, there we go. All right. So in other words, that could be a, a, a tool. Go, oh, wait, there's a conjunction here. Why are they connected? Now you can try to figure out what's it for. Does that make sense? These are, these are tools for you to have. You just got to know when to use the right tool. All right, next, verbs. All right, when you look for verbs, what do you think you look for? All right, this is what they have listed for verbs. You ready? Active. Passive, past, present. Active, pass, passive. I'm sorry, I think I said uh, active, passive, past, present. If I said that wrong, I apologize. Active, passive, past, present. Okay. And future. All right. Yeah, they have etc. here. So there's obviously others, but yeah. That's the whole purpose of the word will. Right. Future. All right. Now, what's significant about identifying the verb active, passive, past, or present? What's significant about it? Well, if it's speaking of a, a verb, speaking of something, and it's God speaking of something he has done in the past, you got to be very careful about then pulling it into the present. Does that make sense? If it's speaking of something he, and Sarah just used the word will, then you've got to determine if he says he will do it, then what's the next question? When? when? Has, it, has, has it passed for us? Future for the people he was speaking to. Understanding, because people do all kinds of weird things with Bible passages. Again, the Jeremiah passage is the most famous. You know, I, the plans I have for you, the plans to bless you, and you're just like, 
Now there is, he's speaking of a future thing. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The, the future thing that he's speaking there in Jeremiah is future for whom? The people he's speaking to, but we, can, we have a pretty good idea what it, what it was referencing when they came out of Babylonian captivity. captivity. So no understanding that. And it's just amazing how people just, like, they forget these basic rules. These are basic rules on how to read a book. Agreed? Agreed. All right. Pronouns. All right. Pronouns. Oh, this is starting to give me bad feelings from school. Okay, all right, all right. Pronouns. Now, what? I, I, just, I, I bet you Sarah Stacy will get this. Maybe everyone else will get this. Maybe I'm just the only one who wouldn't have gotten this. Okay, um, we'll see. They want you to identify something for each pronoun. What do they want you to identify for each pronoun? Okay, what's the fancy word they use? Starts with an A? No. The antecedent. Oh, look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Man, whoa. See, you go to one wrestling show and you get smart. Okay, all right. See, that's the, I just take everyone to a wrestling show and they'll all be smart. Okay, there you go. All right. Identify the antecedent for each pronoun. Now, what's the next question someone could ask? What's an antecedent? What's an antecedent, right? Okay, what is it? Say it. It's the object. That comes the pronoun is replacing, replacing or describing? Describing. describing. Okay, I just want to make sure. All right. Everybody got, understand the antecedent? Okay, very good. Now, why is this important? From the Bible and a biblical text, why is this important? Do what? Because it does that. Okay. It does it a lot. Because a lot of times we're trying to figure out who's this talking about, right? Right? And, there, and, and sometimes there's major disagreements, correct? Yeah. You're like, wait, yeah. wait. And we've had this discussion. Uh, I think Sarah's brought it up at times in a sermon or Stacy. And like, wait, no, the antecedent is, and they'll use that word to sound all smart, make us all feel dumb. The antecedent is, right? And then everybody's like, no, 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 that's not. And then there's, and then an argument breaks out. And then, and so what I usually do is just go, if Stacy or Sarah says that's the antecedent, then that's the antecedent. And I don't care who, whatever, because they have a better grasp on that than I will. So, but that's important of trying to determine the antecedent. Right? I mean, I can't even begin to tell you how many times we've had issues trying to... Like, you're looking at a text and you're like, wait. All of a sudden, it's like, who, who's speaking? Wait, who, what, what's going on? What, what, who, who's this talking about? What's talking about? And, so, and then so people will start going verses back and go, I think the antecedent is in verse 6. I think the antecedent is in verse 5. And then sometimes it leads to major disagreement. Would we say that sometimes finding the antecedent in the Bible is difficult? Yes. 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 Okay, why is it difficult in the Bible? Okay, clear and based on how it's written. Yes. Okay, what we, what are some tips to find the antecedent? How do you when when you when Sarah or Stacy jump in and th start arguing about antecedents? What 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 do y'all look for to determine? Like, is there a clue? Like, if you were trying to if you were trying to help the average person figure out the antecedent in a text of scripture, what would you look for? Location. Location. Usually the closest noun to the. Okay, location. Like where, where it shows up. Um, can there is, there, is there something to clarify? Like when, because sometimes here there's disagreement on, on it. Well, like what, is there a way to clarify it? Is there a way to be certain? Or can there be ambiguity? I think there can be ambiguity. 
Okay. So what should you do if there's ambiguity? Not be dogmatic. Oh, did everyone hear that? Don't be dogmatic if there's ambiguity in the ante figuring out the antecedent. Don't be dogmatic. Right. Okay. There, there, there can be some iffiness. And I want to make sure, because, and going in Romans, are we not trying to figure out, wait, wait a minute, okay. All right. God is revealing his wrath against? All right. And as we move down, we're like, wait a minute, now here, now the homosexuality comes in, right? Okay. So giving up, like, like we, we got to figure out who's being spoken of. I'm not saying this is the best example of trying to find an antecedent in a text. I'm just saying that the same principle shows up, like, okay, wait. Who's being spoken of? Okay, what's going on? Okay, who does this refer back to? What is happening? Those are the things that we have to figure out, right? And that happens a lot in the Old Testament, does it not? Yes? yes? Okay. I think, it, I, and I think it happens a lot in Paul. I think in, in Paul's letter, sometimes you're kind of like, wait, Paul, wait, what just happened here? Who are you talking about? Yeah, who are you talking to? Wait, I forgot where... I forgot who, where, 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 and, and some people don't even bother to figure out the antecedent because they read everything as being about whom? Just put us, because, I mean, and you've got Bibles that will even, you know that there are Bibles that you can order, yep. right? You send them your name and they put your name in the text at different places. That is blasphemy. Mm -hmm. That's not a good thing. We're not the antecedent, okay? Unless there's something in the text that's clearly speaking about us, right? Okay. So just give you that example. That, that's just important to figure out. And these are things you never even think about. You can go to church for, you can go to church for a hundred years and you're not going to be having anyone going the antecedent. Like we, when we have those conversations, probably a visitor would be like, what are they arguing about? Right? Just give me John 3.16 and get me to the church fellowship. Okay, well, I'm sorry, you're out of luck. Okay, so... So, but I, I will agree. Trying to figure out the antecedent is like um, not everyone. Not everyone are, you know, punctuation grammar nerds, right? There's a few that are, too. Okay, right. So some of us aren't, but you, you have to see that it still comes in handy. Even if you can't, even if you're not trying to figure out who the, you know, oh, I'm not going to use the word antecedent. Even if you're not worried about using the right term, you still need to always figure out when you're reading a text, figure, figuring out who's this talking about. Yeah. Who's it referring to? Does that make sense? Right. I cannot stress the importance of that. All right, next. Questions and answers. Note if the text is built on a question-answer format. Questions and answers. Note if the text is built on a question-answer format. If the text poses a question, then what do you need to do? Figure out if the text what? answers the question, you don't jump in with your own answer, okay? You try to let the text answer the question. Sometimes, sometimes questions are asked in the text in what way? Say it. Rhetorical, right? It, they, they, uh, uh, they, uh, the text assumes you're going to know what the answer is. Now, what is frustrating when you're preaching and it's a clearly a rhetorical question and you get three different answers in your congregation and you're like, oh boy. 
And you want to call Paul up and go, hey, Paul, could you come to Victory Baptist Church? Because uh, they didn't get your rhetorical question. There's a disagreement on the answer to your rhetorical question. That's, that's difficult, right? But you got you to look for questions and answers. Does it make sense? Yes, no? All right. Next, dialogue. Note if the text includes dialogue. Do we have a uh, dialogue in Amos 5? We definitely have someone speaking, right? So what do we have to figure out? Who is speaking and to whom? Who is speaking and to whom? That's a basic rule in the Bible. Who is speaking and to whom? Now let me, let me just stop you really quick here, all right? If you were, say, on Crosswalk or, or anywhere, any Bible reading plan, there, there's thousands of them, and you say, today I'm going to read you know, Amos chapter 5, and at the concluding, a, re, a conclusion of reading Amos chapter 5, and someone asks some basic questions about pronouns and dialogue and questions, and, and you couldn't answer some of those things basically in the text, then that primarily means you read words, but you did not read for meaning. Because you got to be able to identify this stuff and what you've read. Does that make sense? Right? I'm like, hey, there's, there's a section of dialogue here. Who was talking to whom? And if you're like, I, I don't know, then it's great that you marked down you read Amos chapter 5 today, but in reality, what happened? Does that make sense? That's why I'm, I've always emphasized you've got to study in some level. There's got to be some level of study taking place. All right. So uh, there's dialogue. Next, they have means. Means. Note if a sentence indicates that something was done by means of someone or something. Answers, and, uh, and then they have in parentheses, answers how. Usually you can assert the phrase by means of into the sentence. So note if a sentence indicates that something was done by means of someone or something. So something is done and you want to know what? How was it done? What was the means in which it was done? God saved us. What were the means of that salvation? How did it occur? Right? And that's you know, one of the major issues of the Protestant Reformation, right? Was it by grace or was it by grace plus our works? Does it make sense? All right. Means. You got, to notice, you got to notice from the text, though, not from, not from your systematic theology, right? You can't run to your systematic theology. You've got to identify the means in the text. Make sure, I, make sure I stress that. This is about finding it in the text. It's not about you reading a verse and you just throw in your own thought. It's about you figuring it out. What is the, if, if the sentence indicates that something was done by means of someone or something, you've got to answer how it was done based off the text. Agreed? Yes? Everybody understand that? All right, next. Um, purpose slash result statements. Purpose slash result statements. Now, this kind of goes along with the means idea. These are a more specific type of means, often telling why. 
Purpose and result are similar, sometimes indistinguishable. And a purpose statement you usually can insert in order that and a result clause so that. And a purpose statement you usually can insert in order that and a result clause so that. You're trying to find if there's a purpose or result statement in the text. This happened in order that, right? This was the purpose of, or in a result clause, so that this would happen. Does that make sense? Everybody got that basic idea? All right, purpose result statements. Just look for purpose result statements. Man, there's so many things I want you to look for, all right? Purpose result statements. Any questions about purpose result statements? We're about to run out of time, all right? We'll go one more. Everybody ready? General, specific. General, specific. Find general statements followed by specific examples or applications. Find general statements followed by specific examples or applications. So as you're reading, you're looking for general specifics. Sometimes you look for general statements that are followed by a specific example or an application. In other words, the text gives you a general statement, right, about something, and then immediately gives what? An example or an application, something that is specific. I think you can probably think of some ideas in the Bible where it does this, right? And they also want you to do it the other way. Find specific statements that are summarized by a general one. Find specific statements that are summarized by a general one. They have chiasm on here. That's interesting. What? A chiasm. I did a I did a recording on chiasms, right? That that little booklet y'all got and gave to me. The whole thing is based off of the idea of a chiasm. All right. Uh, so that's interesting that they got this listed here. We we, we may have to come back and speak of uh, chi uh, chiatic structures in the Bible because it's an interesting uh, discussion. And I think, I don't know where I uh, posted mine, but I talked about it in great detail. So, all right, so let's, we have to stop right here. We didn't get anywhere close to being done. Of course, I told you it was gonna be a short. And with this, my impromptu hermeneutical lessons turn into like eight years, okay? Uh, what, could I, what would happen if I planned it? Okay, no. All right, so let's do this. Clearly, all of these, everything I've given you are tools. Agreed? These are tools that you have to learn to use. Now, these tools can apply to reading anything, but you want to clearly keep them in mind. But here's the part I want you to get from everything that we've talked about. Reading the Bible requires skill. Reading the Bible requires skill. And skill comes about from what? You develop skills, right? You may have a natural talent, 
but that natural talent has to be developed. Some people may have a natural inclination to words, word structures, sentences, paragraphs. They may have a natural inclination to those things, but it's still a skill that you have to develop. Reading the Bible is a skill. Now, I know the Protestant world almost teaches opposite of that, but I'm sick and tired of every Christian believing that they have the ability to read the Bible just like everyone else does. That is wrong. That is, that is, a, that is a disease that arose out of the Protestant Reformation. I don't think Luther would have thought that. I don't think Calvin would have thought that. I don't think many of the reformers would have thought that. But somewhere in modern times, that what happens. Every Christian believes that they can read it and they have the magical authority to offer an authoritative interpretation. And I'm tired of that because whenever you get into Bible study books, right, that are as Protestant as Protestant can be, they immediately indicate it's a skill, right? And they're, and they're writing the book to teach you the skill, which implies that you have to learn the skill. It's a skill. Now, we may all, we've all read the Bible, right? And whenever you're reading the Bible, make sure you understand this. The longer you are a Christian, the better you should be at reading it. That is why I, and I, and, and this is what drive this is, I've always found this true. If I, if I know Christians for a certain period of time, right? Five years later, I have no, I usually have no, nothing in common with them anymore, if, even from a doctrinal theological position. And they always were like, you changed. Well, I should change if, because five years, I should be reading the Bible in a far different way than I read it five years ago. And 10 years from now, I should be reading the Bible in a far different way than I read it before. It's a it's it's never ending skill that is constantly developing, constantly getting better at. The, these Christians are like think the same way for 10 years. I don't understand how that's possible because they they they're not they're not developing. You can't. When the first time you pick up the Bible and read it as a young Christian, you don't have any skill, right? And the first five years of your Christianity is you're, you're just trying to figure out, wait, what am I supposed to be reading and what everyone telling you it means, right? You gotta, you gotta make it through that stage, right? Everyone telling you what it means. And then you thinking, oh, okay, I'm gonna listen to this person. I'm gonna listen to this person. And then at some point you go, wait a minute, I gotta figure out how to study this. And then once you figure out how to study it, then you have the initial reaction is, okay, I think I've got this figured out. But it doesn't stop. You have to constantly be reading and thinking and about it's a skill. It is a skill. And I would and I'm going to I'm going to argue I think a large percentage of Christians are not qualified to read the Bible and interpret the Bible. I know that's against the I know that sounds like I'm Catholic. Catholics would applaud me and go about time a Protestant figured it out. Okay? But I do believe that most Christians are not qualified to do so. And you're like and and again I'm not saying they don't have the right to read it. I'm not calling for banning the Bible, shutting it down, placing it in a language like Latin and only letting people in Latin read it. I'm not saying that. Okay, I know that that happened in, in church history. I'm not saying that. And, and to, to, to interpret, to translate it into any other language was a capital offense in some cases and you end up being burnt to death. I understand that there's some bad things that happen. What I'm trying to say is... Every Christian should have a Bible. Every Christian should read the Bible, but every Christian must realize their skill or lack thereof in reading it and interpreting it. But Christians everywhere believe, 
I bought it, I read it, I'm right. Doesn't work that way. You read it and you hope that you understand it. But the only way you can understand it is you have to have the skills that demonstrate you know how to read it. So before you can interpret it, you have to demonstrate you have the skills to read it. There wouldn't be books written on how to read a book if reading a book was just easy to do. Agreed? There's books that teach you how to read a book because there are authors there who know that most people don't know how to read a book. There, I will argue there's people who don't know how to watch movies. There's people who don't know how to watch TV shows because they don't know how to interpret them. Right? This week, it was a, a quote from a wrestler saying, doing a technical wrestling match in front of an American audience is like reading Shakespeare to your dog. And what he means is that many American audiences cannot understand or interpret it correctly. Right? And I think there's truth to that. I think there's truth that many cannot. Well, I know when you come into, and, and I know that this is dangerous because we can almost be moving Christianity into Christianity is only for the academic, uh, you know, those who exceed, uh, excel in ac academia. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that if you are not proficient and taught and how to read the Bible, then what you need to do is be humble and go, okay, I, I need to learn, but you need to be careful not to just run around and, you know, start, you know, your cult down the road or your new church where you have no one qualified or place people who don't know how to read teaching Sunday school classes because you have to have 30 Sunday, you know, you can't have a church without 30 different Sunday school classrooms. Did you not know that? Because old people and young people learn Bible differently. Did you realize that? I didn't know this, right? I just teach the Bible, right? Correct. Okay. So, um, but that's a whole different story. So um, the thing is, is I, I, I don't want it to be like, well, only the really smart people can figure it out. No, I think everyone can be taught how to read. And I think everyone can be taught how to learn basic reading. What we're talking about here is not like requiring a seminary education. Did you realize everything we just talked about did not require a seminary education? What did that require? Basic reading. And when does some of these skills start being taught? Pretty young? Now, sadly, many go right through third grade all the way to high school, and they still don't know how to read a book. But that's not, that's whose fault? That's the individual's fault. And once you become a Christian, here's the thing that every Christian, like, like I almost want to say this, if I, if I was witnessing to someone and say, before you become a Christian, let me just explain something to you. Reading is kind of essential because our God placed his revelation in written form. Because you know, you're less Christians. Well, I just don't like to read. I think you kind of picked the wrong religion. It's not my, I mean, did he not give us his revelation in written form? And does it say only, only pastors and missionaries should read his word, study his word, and meditate on it day and night? Seems to be an implication that we... So then it's imperative that every Christian learns how to read. Right? Does that make sense? I mean, that book on how to read, uh, how to read a book, it, that's, what, what level is that you think that book is? That's 
Okay, not it's not above high school. It's not college or anything. No. Okay, and that's how to read a book, right? It's a pretty straightforward book. So far. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Why? Because it, it it usually it slaps you in the face and makes you realize I've been I've been reading books wrong a long time. All right. Right, and this forces you to go, no, you need to pay attention to what you're reading, right? Now, that's, that's not even dealing with the Bible. So, so anyone who cares about reading cares. I know not everyone are readers, but every, everyone who's a Christian has to understand you do. God, God has given his word in written form. At that point, it's imperative to care about how to read it. And the main thing is because if we don't read it correctly, then what do we do to it? We twist it and do horrible things. Like, I bet you a lot of, a lot of Christians today who went to crosswalk.com, they're, they're somewhere in their small group tonight talking about what God said to them this morning in uh, uh, Amos chapter 5, verse 24. That probably has nothing to do with what that text means. Right? You've done it. I've done it. We've, everyone in this room has done it. The thing is, we keep moving to improve. We don't stay stagnant in that way. All right, we'll stop right there. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this evening. We are grateful that you've given us your word. We, li we live in a world where people don't seem to know what truth is. They don't know what right is. They don't know what wrong is. They're just lost in a sea of confusion. We claim that your word is the source of truth, the source of morality, the source of understanding ourselves, understanding our world, but you have given it to us in written form. I pray that we would all be concerned for our lack of reading it correctly and motivated to not just read it, but to read it rightly and to develop a skill so that we can handle it in a God, godly way that brings honor to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...